So a very good morning, good afternoon, good evening. As Clint said, for us it's a Thursday night. We've had an incredible time just uh, worshiping God. We prayed for you as a group. We've laughed together. We, we've certainly cried together. We've had some God moments during the worship, and I trust that you've encountered God's presence too as you've listened to the worship. Wherever you are, whether you're driving, whether you're watching, it's great to be with you. It's an absolute privilege. We're certainly facing tough times, some challenging times, very uncertain times. We've had people ask this week, so when are we opening up church? What's happening? We don't know. We don't know. But Maricel reminded us as we prayed together earlier that God is always the same. He never changes. And so we've got to carry on loving people, praying with people, preaching the gospel trusting that the Holy Spirit makes the gospel of Jesus come alive. And so today I'm taking my mate Rory's message he shared a few weeks ago on Ecclesiastes, and I've been listening to it over and over, and I've been reading this incredible book of Ecclesiastes over and over and over again. It's impacted my life in an incredible way, and I trust it does the same for you. I'm trying to understand it. It's a strange book at times. It starts off by saying meaningless, meaningless, absolutely Meaningless. And that's somewhat like I've felt the last couple of weeks, where casinos can open, restaurants can operate, you can go to the shopping mall with your wife and go for a milkshake. No church, though. Absolutely meaningless. Let me just give you a bit of background to this book of Ecclesiastes. It was written so that people could read and go through this book once a year. They would have a celebration called the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they would come together in Jerusalem and they would pitch their tents on the city walls around Jerusalem and they would celebrate, they would remind themselves of how God took them out of captivity, out of slave, slavery and out of bondage in Egypt, remember, and they would celebrate what God did for them as a nation. The Feast of the Tabernacles, or sometimes they called it the Feast of Booths. And the second reason why they had this Feast of Tabernacles is because they had finished the harvest season. The vats were full, the silos were full, the farmers were rich, and it was time to celebrate good times. Come on! I wish I could dance. My wife should have taught me how to dance. And then Ecclesiastes gets opened up and, and people read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's like party pooper 101. Boom, right there. Everything is meaningless. All the hard work you've done in the harvest fields, meaningless. Your bank account farmer, it's meaningless. And so this book isn't just a book that's read as we celebrate in a tent. This book is so applicable for us. As the world goes through some very uncertain, somewhat meaningless times right now, we can turn to this book. This book, God can help us as we read this book together. I was chatting to a man this past week. He's a pilot, flies for one of the airlines. He says, you know, in December they were flat out. People were flying, Cape Town, Durban, all over. Now he's back on 50% salary because people are not flying. Some wrote meaningless. I get a call from a businessman. He's not in our church. He's from another church. He phones me on the way to Nelspreet. He says, I'm going to check out some offices for one of my businesses in, in Nelspreet. He says, you know what? This economic disruption, the weather right now, the floods 
carnage as he drives. He looks at the rivers overflowing, massive holes all over the highway, potholes. He says, it's somewhat like the economic disruption. He says, I don't know what I'm going to do with my business in Nelspreet. Somewhat meaningless. And then I sit at the coffee shop carrying on, reading my Bible, looking at Ecclesiastes. My phone rings. It's a number I don't recognize. It might be you, but so I pick up the phone. No, it's Jan. He's phoning from City Motors in Joburg. He wants to know if I want to buy a Ford Fiesta. And I'm like, no. But people are trying, eh? People are trying. They're trying to do what they can do, trying to make a buck, trying to survive in somewhat very meaningless times that we face. I met a man last week. His daughter phones me. She says, please come and visit my dad with my mom at home. Come for tea and milk tart because my dad, she says, his body is going through a war. Man in his 70s got bone cancer. And so I go over to their home with... And, and, and intention of sharing Jesus and life and what's happening. And we have milk tart. And he tells me his story, how he's been an accountant all his life. And his last job he's had for 25 years. Corporate company accountant. He says he, he walks up those stairs to the top floor every single day. Doesn't take the lift because he wants to be healthy. And he wants to keep his mind alert. And I sit with him. And I see him in pain, suffering with bone cancer. The Bible says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is absolutely meaningless. This man's a great dad, incredible husband. He's a wonderful grandfather. Just like us, this man has certain needs that he wants to and, and feels that he needs to fulfill. They say there's three basic needs that each one of us have. Here's the first one that, that every single one of us have. It says this in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. God has put eternity inside every single one of our hearts. There's this deep desire question. Is there life after death? What happens on the other side of the grave? And right now, people have got nowhere else to turn, eh? I mean, you can go to the vet with your dog and you can get the ivermectin uh, drug to sort out the parasite that they say is in you. Is it really going to help? You, you, you can uh, go for the vaccine, really? Is that really going to give you hope? We've got nowhere to turn. We've got to turn to someone greater than ourselves. We, we've got to turn to somebody greater than this earth. That's the first need that we have, this, this need, this desire for eternity, to believe in something greater than ourselves. And the second need that, that each one of us have, they say, is to do life in community. Friends, we can't do life alone. We've got to do life with people. God has wired us like that. I spoke to a nursery school teacher. She says to me, you know, the kids are so excited to be back at nursery school. They can't wait. Why? Because God has wired us from a very young age to do life together with people in community. That's the second great need that we have as, as men. And then the third one, one of the greatest needs that we have in life is to live a life of significance. To make a difference. To do something that, that counts. And often we get stuck in this performance mode, eh? Do things. We try and strive 
to do something, trying to make a difference, trying to achieve something. Why? Because we want to be significant. And that's how God has wired us. God has put those three things inside of us. And the book of Ecclesiastes is written for each one of us to help us as we deal with these three areas of our lives. Living with eternal perspective, living in community, and living a life of significance. Now in Ecclesiastes, God has given three specific names. And I want to highlight just this first one here. Solomon writes this book. Of Ecclesiastes, and he says this in, in chapter 12. He says he refers to God as the shepherd with a goad. Remember the goad, Neil from Brackpan, my bud, he made this for us in church. We used it a couple of weeks ago. And, and a shepherd uses this goad to take the sheep and, and, and to goad them along the way, just to help them along the way so that they don't go off track. We see in the book of Acts how Paul gets saved. And Jesus says to Paul, Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? You hear that story? A shepherd goads us. Why? Because he loves us. He's kind to us. A shepherd, Jesus will go after the one. He'll leave the 99, he's kind, but he goads us as well. Why? Because he loves us. And if he doesn't goad us, if we don't allow him to goad us, it's so easy to find ourselves going off track in these three areas of our lives, friends. And if we don't allow him to do that, it's only a matter of time. We're going to go one or two clicks off. Yeah? And I don't know about you, but they say that there's four main areas that I can so easily go off track. I'll tell you what they are in my life. These four. Wealth. Status. Pleasure, careers, can so easily go off focus in those four areas of our lives. And Ecclesiastes says that these four things in our lives are actually meaningless. It says that these four things have got nothing. It says these four things can actually produce nothing. One of the commentators say that they, they, these things are like a bubble in the bath and then that bubble just bursts. And it's just air. Nothing is left. Meaningless. Meaningless. Your wealth. Meaningless. Status. Meaningless. Pleasure. Actually meaningless. Career. Your career is actually meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I remember a couple months ago, we were in the school hall. You remember, we, we put, up our, put out our hands in our laps. And, and, and we said, God, would you take our hands would you use our hands to make a difference in people's lives? Because the Bible says at the end of time, what we've actually tried to achieve, whether it's wealth, status, pleasure, career, is actually meaningless. And the more I think back to that Sunday fun day, where we put our hands in our laps and we said, God, use my hands. We actually didn't give God our hands that day. You know what we did? We actually gave our hearts to Jesus. Because what we did with our hands hadn't changed. Our skill, whether it was a teacher or an architect or an IT specialist, hadn't changed. It was what our hearts had done. Our hearts had changed because now we were doing things differently and treating people around us completely differently. We were talking on the bicycle this past week about famous people that have come straight out of Benoni. 
We were talking about uh, famous sportsmen and women that have come straight out of Bononi. We were talking about Alan Voliter. You don't know who he is. Uh, he was a pro cyclist. He won the report tour many years ago. Lived in Bononi, Ranfield, Howie Street. We were talking about Frith van der Merwe, Faramir, straight out of Bononi. That lady, incredible. She set the Comrades Marathon Women's Time in 19, tell you, 89. Five hours, 54 minutes. Not even the Russians can touch that record that she set. Straight out of Benoni. And some of you sitting here tonight, there's some young people sitting here. You don't even know who those names are. I was reading the City Times today. Front page, you'll see it when you get home, babes. There's this guy, Percy Tucker. 93, I think. He passed away this week. A man straight out of Benoni. You know what he did? He invented compute tickets. Benoni's a special city we got. But 32 years later, you don't even know who these famous people actually are. The Bible says you can be famous, but it's actually meaningless. I have a friend whose wife is a 55 kg pocket rocket psychologist. And, and she had a, 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 a desire to climb to Everest Base Camp. Credible, eh? I found her this week just to ask her again some of the stories around this incredible experience. She said, you know what? She refers to her climb, her hike to Everest Base Camp as a great trek. And she says it was amazing all the hours of preparing mentally, hours of preparing physically, the planning to get from Rosebank where they stay to get to start this trek to Everest Base Camp in September 2018. She tells me how she says, Foxy, I've always wanted to live an adventurous, fun-filled life. And she says, after accomplishing this Everest base camp hike in 2018, people ask her, how was it? Was it incredible? Was it meaningful? Was it life-changing? She says, Foxy, people are surprised when I tell them that it actually wasn't a life-changing moment. She says, one experience cannot change your life. In other words, one experience, she says, doesn't have that much meaning. Wow. I wonder if she's been reading Ecclesiastes. And I asked her, I said, tell me about those people who have survived climbing to the summit of Mount Everest. Because everyone talks about that. She says, you know the crazy thing about that? People who've survived and, and reached the summit of Mount Everest, their brains have actually not been functioning correctly when they reach that height because they're on so much oxygen. And the body's so clever, she says, because it'll take the oxygen that it has and it'll use it just for necessity. And so people say, I remember being up at the top of Everest. She says they actually can't remember because their brain wasn't functioning 100%. She says even her track to base camp doesn't meet the experienced, life-changing experience that people expect from it. Then she says this. I wrote it down. It's incredible. She says, the incredible group of people and Sherpas that I tracked with made it the adventure it became. I thought, wow. The things she did along the way, preparing mentally, physically. The things she did with the Sherpas and the people and the, and the doctors that she did this track with, the community that she did it with, made it very special. She said to me, Foxy, 
I don't want to grow old and immature. She says, I want to grow up old and wise. I thought, wow, she must be reading Ecclesiastes. She's watching today. You know what it says? Pocket rocket, my friend's wife, it says this in chapter 9. It says, it doesn't matter whether you are rich or poor, whether you are foolish or wise. It says we're all going to die. It's pretty sad, but we're all going to die. You know what people do who have conquered the summit of Mount Everest? You know what they do? They stick a stick with a flag in the ground at the top of Mount Everest, symbolizing that they've overcome all those extreme conditions and that they've conquered Mount Everest. And then they eventually all die. Mount Everest is still there. So who's the champion? The mountain climber or the mountain? It's quite a dark book, this book of Ecclesiastes, but there's some amazing highlights in this book. One of them is where it says, enjoy the wife of your youth. And so we're trying to find the meaning of this meaningless life. We read Ecclesiastes. What is it? Meaningless, meaningless. And then suddenly, hey, don't forget to enjoy the, the wife of your youth. Michelle and I sat with a lady at the end of 2020. And she shared with us about her husband. An incredible man, she says. Wonderful father. Great, great dad. Great friend to his mates. Then she starts crying. <laughs> she says, my husband's got a drinking problem. Ecclesiastes 9 and Ecclesiastes 10 says your money and your drinking habits are actually all meaningless. Some of us are so drunk and so rich, but you've got a marriage that's busy failing. Read this book of Ecclesiastes with us. We're going to be in it for the next couple of weeks and ask the shepherd to poke you a little bit, to goad you a little bit, keep you focused as we go through life, whether it's your wealth, your status, or your pleasure, or your careers. So in December, this husband of this lady that we'd met goes away, just him, all alone, him and God, goes away for a couple of days and allows God to do a little bit of goading in his life. And I saw this lady a couple days ago. She runs up towards me. Tears in her eyes. She says, hey, we're putting it together, hey? My husband stopped his excessive drinking. We're working it out. Gentlemen, sober yourself up. Stop working so hard. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Remember her? She took your breath away many years ago. Do you remember her? Start spending some time with your wife. Start paying attention to the wife of your youth. Not that chick there. The wife of your youth. Or mate's taking his wife away for the anniversary. 32 years. They're going away this weekend. He's paying attention to the wife of his youth. First name that God gets given is the shepherd, the one who goads us. Why? Because he loves us. The second name that God has given in Ecclesiastes, we find it in chapter 12. He's called the creator. Say creator. 
Whenever you see the word creator, you've got to remember that, that there's a garden. The creator has made a garden. And that word garden is a very explorative thing. Friends, God actually designed a garden for us so that we can live a life of adventure. Just like my friend, that pocket rocket. And so you read this book of Ecclesiastes. It starts off like this. It's on the screen. Thanks, Pete. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher Solomon, says utterly meaningless. Everything, he says, is meaningless. What is man gaining from all his labor? That man walking up those stairs for 25 years. What is man gaining for all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. Doesn't it feel like that? You're tired, you go to sleep at night and just like that, the sun's up, it's back. Birds are singing, ah. Oh. Sun rises, hurries back to where it's risen. No sooner you fall asleep, the sun's up. The wind blows to the south and turns in the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning to its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new. It was here already, man. Long ago it was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. No one remembers the Percy Computica Tucker from Benoni. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And so in this book of meaningless, God says, I'm the creator. I'm the one who created a garden. And all I want my people to do is live this life, this journey, this track, as it were, as an adventure in life. My friend's wife, the mountain climber, says she so wants to live an adventurous, fun-filled life. She doesn't want to grow old and immature. She wants to grow up old and wise. Solomon says this in chapter 5. He says, I've noticed at least one thing that is good. He says, it's good for people to eat and, and drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life. We prayed about the short life that each one of us are living earlier. During the short life God has given to them and to accept their lot in life. And then in chapter 8, he says, So I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat and drink and enjoy life. That way, he says, they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. And then he says this to the young people in chapter 11. There's a lot of young people sitting here tonight. He says this, Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to. Go for it, guys, he says. Take it all in. But remember, he says this, but remember that you must give an account to God for everything that you do. So refuse to worry. Keep your body healthy. Keep going for that run with your mate at lunchtime. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless. 
Very next verse, chapter 12, he says this, young people. He says, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. There's a whole lot that I'm sure I've missed out on in Ecclesiastes. And I was chatting to 20. We'll probably come back to some of this next week. But for time's sake, I want to end tonight in chapter 12. Solomon gives this unbelievable example of people getting old. Listen to this. He's just said, remember to the young people, your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. And the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in the days before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble. What is he talking about? The keepers of the house. That's my hands. When I grow old, and my, my hands start to tremble. An elderly lady in Freedom Church, my wife and I took her for a day to Vida Cafe, Faramir Square. I see an elderly lady from Freedom Church in the parking lot. I said to Michelle, let's go and say hi to that lady. She's climbing into her VW, hands shaking. She's old now. Her hands tremble when the keepers of the house tremble. And the strong men stoop. You know those guys, they walk around hunched over. I was thinking of your grandfather. Comes to church. He's hunched over. He's old now. When the grinders cease because they are few. You know what he's talking about there? Talking about your teeth. When the grinders cease because they are few. Get old. You start losing your teeth. And those looking through the windows grow dim. What's that? That's my eyes. I'm getting old. I need my glasses now. Your eyes grow dim. And the sound of grinding fades. That's my ears. My wife can't hear me these last couple of days. You're getting old, babes. When, when men rise up at the sound of birds, you know what? That's funny, hey? When you, when you grow older, they say you, you don't need as much sleep. And you wake up and you hear the birds and you think, oh, it's early. Why am, I, why am I waking up so early? And then catch this verse, verse 5 from the message prayer phase. It says this. When you are old, hikes to the mountains are a thing of the past. When you are old, my friend's wife, Pocket Rocket, hawks to Everest Base Camp are a thing of the past. Solomon is saying, before you get there, you better live your life proper. I feel people's pain. We cry with a lady who's lost three close family members this past week. I feel for people who've lost their businesses. I've watched my friends see loved ones pass away. But I want to say to you, while you've got strength, sir, while you've got strength to wake up tomorrow morning, ma'am, while you've got a brain that is functioning healthily and properly, make sure that you live in the fullness and the creation of God and show people around you that it's not meaningless. To serve God. Remember I told you about my friend's wife, the pocket rocket who climbed to Everest Base Camp. The mountain climber who tracked, as she says. She shares with me how that moment was not actually a life-changing moment, as everybody thinks. And she says how even reaching the summit of Everest is probably not as meaningful as everybody thinks. Somewhat meaningless and empty. 
Friends, there's an emptiness inside of everyone's heart that can only be filled by the one who conquered the mountain that we could never conquer. He conquered the mountain that is worth conquering. It's called Calvary. He walked up to the top. The cross was stuck in the ground and he displayed to the world at the top of that hill, victory over death. And if you believe in him, you will find meaning in the midst of chaos. You will find meaning in this somewhat meaningless life. Prioritize Jesus, friends, the victorious one on top of that mountain who showed the world victory over death. And if you do, you will find pleasure. You will find peace. Live the adventure, friends, that God, the creator, has for you. And allow your shepherd to guide you and to lead you because he loves you along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.